Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. Today we have the honor of being joined by an absolute legend whose best-selling Lucy Stone mysteries have been delighting readers for over 30 years. As of this recording, newspaper reporter and mother of four Lucy Stone has been solving murders in Tinker's Cove, Maine in 28 full-length novels and several novellas. Author Leslie Meyer is here today to talk with us about her celebrated series and its latest installment, Easter Bonnet Murder, which was released in February of this year. Welcome to the podcast, Leslie. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited to have you here. The very first cozy mystery that we talked about on the show was yours. So this is an incredible moment for us (laughs) to actually get to speak with you. I'm, I'm very flattered. Well, before we dive into speaking with you about the Lucy Stone mysteries, let's check in with what's making us feel cozy this week. Jillian, what's making you feel cozy this week? So I've been tuning into season two of Hacks. I love the first season. So what's making me feel cozy about this new season is Lori Metcalf's character. She's a tour bus manager nicknamed Weed. Of nickname given to her by Pete Wentz. And she's just a true delight. I love Lori as an actor in general. You can tell that she's having so much fun in the role. She's absolutely hilarious. And I genuinely laughed at every scene that she's in. And just to have that that fun and something to look forward to um, on TV is is just a, a pure pure delight from start to finish. So if you're not watching season two of Hacks, tune in just for Lori because she's a a true comedian in every sense of the word. I love her. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Lori Metcalf is amazing. I've loved her since she was on Roseanne. And Hacks is an incredible show. I'm really enjoying the new season. Yeah, and she's so funny in it. Well, what's making me feel cozy this week is Mary Zimmerman's play, Metamorphoses, which I saw performed by the company at Pasadena's A Noise Within Theater. Based on the myths of Ovid, Tales of Midas, Orpheus, Aphrodite, and more are given a modern sensibility and performed in a pool on stage, which that alone is such an experience to see people performing a play from a pool. They use it really dramatically and in in ways you wouldn't expect. And the only reason I was there was I work at a high school, and so I went as a chaperone. (laughs) And what was extra cozy about this was it was really one of those amazing things to witness the power of live theater because these middle schoolers and high schoolers were so enraptured and into the storytelling because it's kind of like told through all these different tales and myths. One of the ones they hit on is the myth of the daughter who falls in love with her father. And you can imagine middle schoolers and high schoolers responding to them kissing on stage (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, you could not wish for a better audience. The noises they were making every time, like a couple would kiss that were, you know, it, when it wasn't incest, they, they were, they were ooing and eyeing. It was the first time I had been in a live theater, you know, since uh, the start of the pandemic. And so it was such a powerful reminder of just how special that experience is. So definitely a cozy moment. And if you are in the Southern California area, you know, around Pasadena or Los Angeles, and you have, Children, uh, you know, I, w- I would say especially like middle school, high school age, uh, go see Metamorphoses. It's a, it's a hit with the kids. I'll say that. 
Plus the fact, like you said, it's performed in a pool. It's just it's Sony. If I was a kid seeing that, I would be blown away. So sounds like a, a very fun time. And I remember when I was younger, I used to take such delight in my mom taking us to the local theater, seeing Hansel and Gretel, whatever it was. And it's just, you feel so special going to the theater when you're a kid. The whole time I was so nervous because as you can imagine, the stage and the stairs, because they're always also running up and down the aisles. And I was so worried for the actors that they would slip and fall. And they must have signed some sort of like <laughs> contract that would release all liability because that seems like a huge uh, legal nightmare, but they're pulling it off. I bet the kids would have left <laughs> and that would have been me. More <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have definitely broken the immersion. Leslie, how about you? What's making you feel cozy this week? Well, well, I'm about ready to get on a plane and go to Pasadena and see this, this show in the pool. I'm really interested in that. That sounds great. My grandson is crazy about myths and stuff, so I should take him with me. But anyway, no, the things that, that uh, are making me feel cozy is, uh, is actually my garden. I got tired of crawling around in the dirt, you know, and trying to make things grow in the ground. So I got myself a, a this planter thing that's about three feet off the ground, like table height, and you fill it with dirt and it has a place that it, it also put water in it, it self waters. And I've been growing mm-hmm. just in phenomenal amounts, much more than I ever got out of my garden in the ground. I'm, I've just got so much lettuce. I could give it away to the entire neighborhood <laughs> and, and radishes and um, arugula. And it's just absolutely fantastic. But continuing the garden theme, not in this particular planter, but um, elsewhere, actually in the ground, I ha- I've been able to raise English bluebells. And I am, I am like a crazy person for bluebells. I have saw them in Brooklyn in the Botanic Garden there where they have a bluebell wood. And I am just mad crazy for bluebells. And I finally have raised enough bluebells that I could cut some today. And I have them in a vase by my bed. So I am very excited about going to sleep and, and you know, sniffing bluebells all night long. That's going to be very cozy. That's incredible. You're firing on all cylinders. You have the vegetables. You have these beautiful flowers. I kill rosemary. That's how bad I am at <laughs> gardening. It can be tricky. <laughs> can it? Or am I just really bad? <laughs> yeah. and I love the phrase crazy for bluebells. Yeah, I am absolutely crazy for bluebells. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a madness. I went all the way. You know, I live in Massachusetts. I went all the way to New York this year to see them in the Botanic Garden. Well, it'd be nice to, like you said, fall asleep to those bluebells. Very cozy. I will. I will. Well, speaking of cozy, let's talk about your cozy mysteries, Leslie. As we mentioned in our introduction, you've been writing mysteries starring Lucy Stone for over 30 years. We were introduced to Lucy in 1991 in Mail Order Murder, which was later retitled Mistletoe Murder, as she worked the night phones taking orders for Country Cousins catalog only to discover the owner's dead body in the parking lot. And while Lucy's life in the little town of Tinker's Cove, Maine, has evolved over the years, she started a career as a newspaper reporter and her children are all grown up. Her knack for finding dead bodies and the people who caused them, usually around the holidays, has stayed the same. So something we like to ask all the mystery authors who come on our show is what inspired them to create their sleuth and the world they inhabit. What inspired you to create Lucy Stone and her little town of Tinker's Cove? When I first started writing, I, you know, I, I was like, I was an English major in college, and but I never really thought of myself as, as one of those creative writing people. You know, I, I was just soaked up all the books and 
was in awe of all the people who could write books and stuff. Oh, I know. I took a, co- a course in um, to be a, become a teacher, and in the cor- in the course of the course, I ha- I ended up writing a short story that the professor was said sh- he wrote on top should be published. So I mailed, and it was a little mystery, and I mailed it off to uh, um, Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, and they bought it. So that got me started, and I I just started. So I started writing these short stories, which I kept sending faithfully to Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, and. They, you know, they took a few, but, but not all. And I thought, well, I'm going to, I've got it, you know, I thought I have to try a novel. And so I, again, I knew nothing about the art of, of writing, really. I, you know, I, I didn't know anything, any of the craft, really. But I did know you were supposed to write what you knew. And so I was like a, a mother of, of three kids living in a small New England town. Of course, I created Lucy, Lucy isn't me. I don't find any bodies, you know, um, I just, <laughs> or so you say. So, well, yeah, occasional, an occasional mouse. <laughs> so far, that's been it. Um, yeah, no. So that's uh, that's how I got started. And then the town is was really a projection of the town I, I I live in, which is in Massachusetts. But I moved it to Maine because I was worried that my neighbors might pick up on this and think I was writing mm. about them. Mm. So I thought, oh, if I move it to Maine, no one will ever. <laughs> <laughs> no one will ever figure this out. <laughs> Get some local drama in there. Yeah. So, uh, so that's kind of how how it started. And then, as as it would, as things happened, I ended up becoming a reporter for a um, a little local uh, uh, newspaper. A week, you know, a little one of the weeklies uh, that that used to be everywhere, but now are have all you know gone to heaven. But um, and that just seemed to be a natural way to keep Lucy investigating. Um, but again, as even as a reporter, I never, I never really got a, the biggest deal was when the helicopter, the the, the crop dusting helicopter crashed in a cranberry bog, and no, and everybody was fine. That's as close as I ever got to it. Inspiring <laughs> story. Well, you've mentioned that Lucy isn't you, but she's so well drawn and consistent. It's like you've lived with her for all your life. But if you had the chance to rewrite Lucy's character over again. Would you change anything? You know, I don't think so. There was when I started writing, it, all the all the female protagonists were were independent uh, girls who had issues, like they were survivors of abuse or alcoholics or drug addicts or bad love life or something. And I thought, I by making Lucy sort of you know putting this in quotation marks like a normal person without a lot of issues and stuff, I thought I thought it made her maybe a little different and 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 cozier and more relatable. <laughs> yeah, she definitely is relatable for sure. She's no pushover. I like, I, you know, I like Lucy and I, I like Lucy. Yeah, she's I wouldn't want to go up against her. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> so nearly every book in your series centers around a holiday of some kind. Mm-hmm. When did holidays and special events become a theme for your series? Right at the beginning, because that was the one thing I knew about getting published apart from writing what you know the other rule was write a book about christmas because everybody <laughs> buys books at christmas and so i tried to make so i made my book about christmas and then um then i br- i tried to break away from that I, I wrote a book about ballet recital i wrote one about lucy going back to school but my editor just really likes the uh, the holidays but the good thing about writing a, a book set in a holiday is it gives you sort of a framework. You know, you already got a a timeline set up for yourself, so you can that you can work with and stuff. And the other thing is that people like like I go into my library 
you know, around Christmas time, all my books will be out there on display, you know, mm-hmm. so people get reacquainted with them. They, they sort of become perennial. They show up every holiday. But the one I'm working on now is uh, is got a patchwork uh, quilt theme. So just different. Mm-hmm. That's not a holiday. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to kind of go in and out of that theme at will. I know Lucy's also traveled as well. So we got some of those adventures in yes. London or in Paris. Um, so she's gotten to stretch her wings a little bit. It tracks that some murders happen not on the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also Lucy has to travel because um, my ed- my editor pointed this out. He said, we have to give the people in Tinker's Cove a break. You know, we just can't, we can't, you know, we can't eliminate the entire population of the town. So, so that's Fair where Lucy goes. Lucy goes and spreads chaos elsewhere. <laughs> well, from traveling internationally to all these different holidays, the series spans so many locations and time, and it's an amazingly long-running series, and it's an incredible achievement that can't be understated. So how do you stay inspired and disciplined in, in writing this series? And what lessons have you learned in sustaining it? Well, I've learned a lot about structuring a mystery. <laughs> and, and just te- just technically, it's sort of now in my blood, you know, I, I just sit down and do it. Um, and it seems to, seems to work. Um, but um, I guess what keeps me interested is I, I read voraciously. I, re- I keep up with the news. There's, there's just always things that sort of spark... Um, spark my interest and that I then then I think about them and I can turn them into a mystery like the the patchwork quilt one I'm working on I went to a uh, an exhibit of patchwork quilts at the Museum of Fine Arts and I I was just um, amazed at the diversity and the the incredible craftsmanship and and stuff and so I thought oh this you know it seemed like something I could use and and the um, the Easter bonnet the set in a nursing home well, I mean, I, I was at my book club the other night, and one of the we all got talking about our various experiences with our mothers and fathers in nursing homes, and and uh, it just comes from from life, you know, like like we all go through these these dif, dif, difficult times or common experiences, and and, and I always manage to find a, a murder there somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, you touched on something really important, too, that I that you share with Lucy is that innate curiosity. You have to want to be curious and want to know no, more about what you're writing about. And it, it's and it's, that's clear and it shines through, like in your example of the patchwork quilt or botanical gardens. It's just you have to have, be a curious person, I think, to um, have a series as long running as, as yours. Yeah, my poor husband, he, he's, he's died. But um, the thing was, you know, we'd go out to dinner or something and <laughs> He would, he, Leslie, Leslie, look at me, <laughs> look at me. Oh, my <laughs> mom is, oh, is always creating stories and narratives about the people that we're eating next yeah. to. It's <laughs> every without <laughs> fail. It's like, okay. I love the beach. There's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a little bit more. I'm the woman all wrapped but... up in towels and a hat and sunglasses, you know, avidly <laughs> watching everybody else. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes my partner's like, stop staring. Yeah. In terms of your writing process, do you have like a regular structure to get all this writing done? Because you're so consistent with your, your publishing and, and it's always delivered on time. My, the way my contracts are structured, I, I do an outline first. And, and so really half the job is done. I mean, a, a pretty, you know, deta- a detailed outline. And so half the, the job is done setting up the outline. 
And I know a lot of people say, well, their their characters talk to them and tell them what they're going to do next and stuff. But I find, I, I don't know if Lucy hasn't really been talking to me. I kind of tell her what to do. And, uh, <laughs> and I get the I get the outline done. And then then it's just a matter of glancing at the calendar and seeing how long I've got, you know, and how, you know, and sort of setting up a loose schedule of goals, you know. And, and so I, and then I start right, you know, but I have the outline. So every, so I just sit down in the morning and find out where I am and where we're going. And, uh, and eventually, you know, you end up with a book. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Let it rip. Yeah. And your latest one, Easter Bonnet Murder, our beloved recurring character, Miss Tilly yes. is returning, retired town librarian. Uh, unfortunately, she falls ill and is checked into Heritage House, the town's senior center much to the acerbic centenarian's chagrin. Mm-hmm. While helping her dear old friend, the winner of last year's Easter Bonnet contest at Heritage House, Agnes Neal, mysteriously disappears ahead of this year's competition. And Lucy suspects Agnes didn't simply get lost birdwatching. So we follow Lucy as she navigates through the cliques at the senior center to uncover the truth of what happened to Agnes. And something I really love about your books and cozy mysteries in general is their balance of dark and light. And in Easter Bonnet Murder, we're treated to both the excitement of seniors as they craft whimsical Easter bonnets and the devastation and trauma created by war crimes. So how did Easter bonnets and the, you spoke a little bit to this in terms of like the kind of picking up things that you're coming to in contact with out in the world, but specifically, how did those Easter bonnets and the war in Bosnia make their way into the novel? And what's your strategy for balancing those tones? I think it was the Easter eggs, especially if I'm writing a, a, a holiday theme mystery. I usually start sort of start just kind of um, I just write down things that that connected with Easter, you know, mm-hmm. and I covered enough uh, con- like not Easter on a contest, but like doggy fashion shows and things and old, <laughs> when I was a reporter at, at, at various uh, retirement communities and stuff. And my, my mother was in, in one. So sort of things just just sort of come together. So I'm thinking about Easter and I was thinking about the, the bonnets. And um, and then I was thinking about um, those those um, Eastern European Easter eggs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of got me headed in that direction. The other thing though, like when I was working on it, I, I sort of, my working tight, the way I kept thinking about it was mean girls in the old lady's home, you know? And, and I sort of, cause that really, my mother had, was pretty well into Alzheimer's when she went into this assisted living. And I just noticed that, you know, she did that, that the other, other, there, there was sort of a caste system in the, in the facility, you know, there were the, the active people who still had all their marbles. And then, then the, you know, and as you went down and the dottier you got, you know, sort of the less popular you were. And, 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 and that, that was something I thought was very human, you know, it was sort of like middle school all over again, you know? So, so those were the things I was kind of working with. And the boss, I don't, it, it was the Easter eggs that led me into Bosnia. Yeah. Oh, and also the other thing about the nursing homes, while I was working on it, uh, I get this AARP thing, um, magazine or something, and they did like this whole expose of nursing homes and that kind of kind of fed into it too. You know, I knew I was on, I sort of knew I was on to something when I, you know, reading that. Um, so anyway, so so those things just sort of all came together and you sort of wrap them up around each other and um, yeah, and you end up with a, a story. Yeah. yeah, I would have never thought that, that that's so fascinating to learn about, that the 
the painted uh, Easter eggs. I think, what are they called? Uh, Pazansky? Yeah, Pazansky, um, I think. In, Pazansky, they're different, you. you know, different languages, you know. That's what inspired the, some some interesting information related to that disappearance. I, w- I won't give away too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we get in trouble um, for our spoilers from our listeners, I know. we've definitely, come we've definitely gotten uh, taken to task for some giving away too much. Blistering emails. Yeah. And by blistering, I mean very gentle. <laughs> oh, very oh, sweet to, listeners. True confession. Every t- you know, every time I read, I read a, a book, now, now I read the end first, and, <laughs> which is... Which is, I, you know, but it's partly, I tell myself it's, well, I guess I just can't handle suspense, but, but partly it's also, I, I, I say, well, see, I, I do that so I can see how the, how the author is constructing the book. It's really, it's really kind of from a literary, you know, um, analytical. Exactly. You're dissecting it for exactly, exactly. Purposes. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned spending a good chunk of time in, in nursing homes from reporting and then with your, with your mother and in the search for Agnes Neal, Lucy keenly observes that missing older folks don't make for hot copy. But Easter Bonnet Murder challenges this notion with its bustling, complex, rich group of elder residents at Heritage House. So I'm curious, what was your inspiration behind these dynamics? You touched on it a little bit, but I'm particularly interested in how you mirrored the problems at Heritage House to Zoe's friendship woes. Oh, that you mean the residents' friendships? Yes, and all yeah. those clicks. Well, just sort of what I what I observed, and the the gentleman, the, the I think his name is Henry Wilcox. I, I've, it's been a while since I wrote it. He sort of is based on my grandfather, who was a very upright sort of, uh, mm. very smart smart man. I think with the click thing, it's just women. I think form these little groups, you know, and 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 we do it through our whole lives, you know. Um, uh, in various, various, you know, if you, if you go to church, there's the, you know, the ladies who are on the altar guild and there's the ladies who do the cakes and the, the coffee after the, the, you know, there are these little, little knots of, of, and the thrift shop ladies, you know, these little knots of women, it's just something we do. And, uh, uh, and Lucy has her, you know, she has her own little group of friends who meet for breakfast on Thursdays. Yeah. So I think it's just a natural it and it but and also gives a, a writer something good to work you know actually those four showed up in an earlier i forget which one but th- i liked them so much i thought oh i have to keep these guys going you know and and so i i re- you know i recycled them <laughs> yeah they're, yeah. they're a, a hilarious trio very very yeah. funny all the rivalries and it's also interesting that you mirrored harry against your grandfather because he's really the the talk of the town in Heritage House, all the ladies flocking to him, which is I also found really funny. Yeah, but my grandfather never was in a he he he, he stayed home. <laughs> in addition to figuring out what happened to Agnes Neal, Lucy is helping her youngest daughter Zoe find her own apartment, and their generational divide makes this quite a difficult process. As readers, we're introduced to Zoe the moment she's born in Tippy Toe Murder, and I now she's a college graduate <laughs> getting her first job. Uh, what challenges and opportunities stand out to you of aging up Lucy and her family as the series progresses? Well, the major problem is keeping Lucy young, the sort of the same age while everybody else moves along. Um, <laughs> that's been, yeah. And I do have trouble, you know, sometimes I sort of equate Lucy's age with my own. And so I'll put some reference in and then I realize, no, 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 no. <laughs> 
Lucy's not, Lucy's supposed to be like maybe, you know, late 40s, early 50s, sort of. She's just sort of stuck there where everybody else goes up. And Miss Tilly, I have to inform you, I've done the math at, at one a few years ago, and she was 120. Oh, so my she, goodness. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and wow. I love how in, in Easter Bonnet Murder, they're like, she won't reveal her age, but we know she's over 100. Don't ask too many questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, I, I, I don't even think of her as 100. I, I'm sort of keeping her like in her 90s, you know. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. But but so Lucy and Miss Tilly and certain characters sort of stay the same while others grow on. It's it's a mad, there's a magic elixir in the in the water there, I guess. But it's it's been it's such a pleasure as a reader to have Lucy sort of grow with you in terms of, you know, kind of watching her become an empty nester. And that really relates as I get older, like seeing, you know, my parents go through the same thing and the way that's handled and also the more free time that she has is, is kind of great, too. She gets to go out there a little bit more. She's constantly evolving. But you're it's so funny until you said that I, I never really thought about because as a reader, I, maybe it's just because I want her so badly to kind of stay in the approximate same age. I never questioned that she really was aging a little slower than everybody else. Yeah, no, <laughs> she's, she's, she's an aspic, you know, and she's yeah. got it, yeah, <laughs> which is great. If only I were. I know. <laughs> well, it's clear that some of uh, Lucy are drinking from the fountain of youth. Right. But, Absolutely. But there is, you know death is inevitable and Easter bonnet murder (laughs) (laughs) confronts death under a more reflective microscope. An example being when Lucy revisits her parents' deaths from a removed perspective with more understanding and compassion for herself. And so I'm curious about how your approach to writing about death has changed as the series has grown and these characters have evolved. Well, actually, well, as I, it's been 30 years and, um, in that time, I, I've, I've lost the, the whole older generation. I'm now like the senior generation in my family, my sister and I, um, and some cousins, all the, all the aunts and uncles and, and mommies and daddies, they're all gone, you know, for us. So, so it's, you know, it's just sort of what happens. And then now my husband died back in, in October 2020. So, um, so when I was writing this, that was definitely something on, that was on my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, the one I know, I I can't let go of Miss Tilly. I I sometimes I you know she I think she she's going to live forever. <laughs> I was I have to say I was counting nervous. on I was it. Like, it's in one, the book started. I was like, oh, this is going to be the book she kills Miss Tilly in. I know, <laughs> fooled ya. you. Had, you you, you really did. Yeah, I was reading it by the pool, and I was like, I don't know if I should be reading this on a, a fun summer vacation. I don't know if I can handle the Miss Tilly dying while I'm sitting poolside with a coconut mojito. So I'm glad that you um, pulled a bait and switch. Yeah. No. We have a lightning round of questions for you. Oh gosh. So we're gonna we're gonna hit you with some <laughs> short and quick questions. Are you okay. ready? So first, who would you pick to star as Lucy in a movie? I I thought about this a, a long time ago. I wanted Mary Steenburgen, is that I think that's, that's how you say her name to be yeah. to be Lucy, and I wanted Ted Danson to be her husband. But this was <sighs> a few years. This was a few years. You know, they were younger then. You know, I don't know if he'd work now. But um, but then he he would have yeah excellent picks. I had them picked yeah <laughs> come on Hollywood let's go <laughs> yeah ring them up uh, which holiday do you like writing about the most oh Halloween another good choice I'm I'm so glad to hear that because that's my favorite 
uh, to read about. Is I, I love Halloween so much, and I always read your mysteries around that time. So that tracks. <laughs> okay. If you were stuck on an island with one character from your series, who would you choose? Bill. <laughs> <laughs> he could build. He could build a shelter. We know that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He's so handy. <laughs> Which cause of death in your series are you most proud of concocting? The, the one I'm working on now is, uh, um, it, it's, this is, this is a little, this is a tricky one. Um, it's a, it's a poisoning followed by a dismemberment. And, and <laughs> Ooh, I'm, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I, I'm really excited about it. And, um, the reason the body parts, I hope I'm not giving too much away. The reason the body parts start showing up in Tinker's Cove is because the killer needs to clean out the freezer because hunting season is coming and a neighbor uses the freezer for oh his goodness. game. Yeah. So, yeah. Can't wait to read all Things about are it. Grizzly in Tinker's Cove. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just can't. <laughs> Oh, I love it's it. It's a sick yeah. mind, really. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not writing, what is your favorite way to spend your time? Well, gardening in my new raised planter. <laughs> <laughs> your bluebells. Yeah, with wheels. Yeah, with wheels. And um, uh, oh, my favorite things to do. Um, uh, well, read. I, you know, I, I read. I read a lot. I like to, you know, stretch out on the, the sofa with a book and uh, reading and gardening and. And being with friends. I like to I like to, to to visit with friends. So walks, go for walks, maybe. Yeah. I just got a new knee, so um getting walking again is is a joy. Congratulations on your recovery. Thanks. And a new knee. Yeah. It's my second. Um, I've got two. <laughs> <laughs> You're bionic now. You're gonna That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Leslie, for Thank taking you. the time to join us today and tell us a little bit more about your process and the history behind the Lucy Stone Mysteries. I do want to know before you go, has there ever been an attempt to adapt the Lucy Stone series into a television show or a movie? There wasn't, there have been some feelers, but, uh, but, but nothing so far, but I live in hope. You know, <laughs> we'll see. That's we'll see. That, I mean, that's crazy to me because it's such an amazing series and I'm out here, I'm seeing Hannah Swenson on my, you know, yeah. uh, Mysteries and movies, and I'm like, where's Lucy Stone? Yeah, well, send, <laughs> I want to watch Lucy's letter. Series. Say, where's Lucy? You know, there was a development company uh, sort of put out some feelers and stuff, and they had an option, but um, but that never never happened. I don't oh. know. We'll see. Fingers well, I'm I'm, I'm rooting for it to happen. It it, it, I, it will one day. I guarantee it. Yeah, I Matt, what, so. and I will petition in front of the Hollywood sign. One more thing before you go. Okay. How can readers and our listeners keep up with your writing? Oh, I do. Um, my husband used to, to keep track of all the uh, social media and stuff for me. And so it sort of all fell apart. Uh, but then my son came to the rescue. And now uh, LeslieMeyerBooks.com is up and running again. That's, that's the website. And, and you can, but if you just put me, I know I have a son in IT, and he's, it's, it's very upsetting to him that, that, that if you put my name in the computer, a zillion things pop up. You know, he's, he's, he's a bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> He has to accept the fact that you're a heavy hitter. So, oh gosh. <laughs> no, well, Leslie, again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you guys. Well, that was an absolute delight to be able to speak with Leslie Meyer on our show. Mm-hmm. Such a dream come true. We've we'll be floating on air for a while. 
be sure to check out her the latest installment in the Lucy Stone mystery series, Easter Bonnet Murder, which is on sale now. So moving from murder to wrapping up our show, <laughs> uh, let's check in with some soothing sounds. Jillian, what sound is soothing you this week? So I decided to do something different because it is our last episode before our summer break. So I thought, what would be more perfect than throwing a little pop in there? Get the summer kicked off, get it sizzling. Exactly. We have to get our summer jams ready. Who's better to kick it off with than uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, the person behind the hit Call Me Maybe. (laughs) And she... Uh, she came out with a new album, Western Wind, released it on May 5th, and the song I chose is of the same name. It's a very digestible, breezy, beautiful tune, and I can't think of anything better to represent summer than a Western Wind. So let's get the winds a-blowing with Carly Rae Jepsen's Western Wind. How many times can I say wind? Not enough. <laughs> This really is the epitome of a cozy pop song. Yeah, something about it just is perfect for for summer. And like I said, so digestible, breezy, easy, fun. And the video is really, I think, a encapsulation of summer. She's in all these flowy, bright gowns. She's in riding a little moped. I don't know if that's what it is <laughs> through the you're asking the, the fields. Wrong person. Yeah, I know. I know you're a big moped motorcycle guy. So. <laughs> Yeah, I I really enjoyed this. I love any ode to California song. I I love California. I never get sick of it being celebrated in music. Yeah, we're sniffing that that Western wind. <laughs> you know, she was inspired when a cowboy passed by and farted, and that's how she got inspired God, you, to write this song. You know, I don't like that potty talk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hear about any tootin' or anything like that. What are you listening I re- to? <laughs> I really like. The direction you took your song in, and I wish I had gone into that direction. Mine's really much more of the standard fare that we have on this segment. Um, But I do think it's a really interesting project. So the Birdsong Project is a 200-track compilation benefiting the Audubon Society. And it's a mixture of music and spoken word poetry by incredible musicians and actors. Like It's the weirdest assortment of people coming together to raise money for the birds. From Karen O to... Jeff Tweedy to, which is also, I mean, how appropriate, Jeff Tweedy, to Sean Penn reads a poem. It's crazy. Mm. And they're, as you can imagine, 200 tracks is quite a lot. So they've just dumped four albums worth of songs right now. And they're going to continue dropping more until all 20 albums have been released, which I think will be done by the time we hit September. So if you're looking for cozy music to take you all the way from now until when we return in September, (laughs) check out the Birdsong Project. And the track I'm highlighting specifically is Karen Elson's Fly On. So let's take a listen to Fly On by Karen Elson.
So it starts out pretty soft and it gets a little, the, the drums come in somewhere toward the middle. So it gets a little more, a, li- a little louder, but it's actually over- beautiful. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. It's a very beautiful song. Um, and it's so, it, it really just makes you, puts you in the mindset of seeing beautiful birds spreading their wings and flying. And also I love the, uh, Cinderella-esque, like, ah, uh, like, ah, uh, like, <laughs> yeah, it of Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know it's stunning and i can just imagine if i was a, a bird watcher watching my birds the song playing in the background or the starry night sky hanging out it's a lovely 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 tune and then also the visuals the artistic rendering um i don't know if it's the same picture for each song uh but i think it's different it's, for each song yeah this one's a beautiful heron and there's some moss hanging and a dock and then there's little twinkling lights. It's really lovely. Um, great pick and it's for a good cause. I just realized what a perfect choice it is uh, given that the um, the victim in Easter Bonnet Murder was an avid bird watcher. Oh, you're right. R.I.P. Agnes Neal. Oh, poor Agnes. So let's uh, burn a candle in Agnes's honor with our <laughs> weekly candle review. Jillian, what candle are you sniffing this week? This week, we're sniffing Elizabeth W.'s dandelion scent. It's 15 bucks for three ounces, so it's kind of on the pricier side. But if you're really in the market for a summer candle that's light, inviting, and warm, this is for you. The description says it invokes flower-crowned memories of picking golden dandelion on a warm summer's night. A gentle breeze and the drifting, carefree scent of wildflower honey, clover, and soft grass. So obviously this is more of a sweet scent, but I will have to say that the soft grass offsets that sweet honey smell. So even though this is not something I would pick up in the fall or or winter, it's perfect for summer afternoon. You want to just lay back and relax. This is perfect. If a scent could smell a certain feeling, it just, this would be warmth. It smells warm. If that makes sense. It sounds great. And the perfect for the season. Yeah. It's like a sweet, sweet hug. It's not overbearing. I do think that soft grass, if it wasn't for the soft grass, it'd be a little bit too sweet, but that gives it that fresh scent pairs up against the the sweetness soft grass saves the day again (laughs) so go get that dandelion by elizabeth w like dandelion seeds we are taking to the wind and floating off for our summer hiatus Mm -hmm. julian and i are taking our slumber (laughs) indoors (laughs) in the air conditioning (laughs) (laughs) and we'll be back with brand new cozy episodes in september Stay cozy, listeners. We really do appreciate you for taking the time to join us and listen to our show and support us on our Patreon. We have a Patreon where you can donate at any level to help out the show. It pays for us trying out new candles or going new places um, without advertising, right? Um, It helps us try out some cozy stuff and bring them to your attention to tell you if it's worth checking out yourself. So, Thank you to everyone who supports our show, our patrons, and our regular listeners. 
If you're interested in becoming a patron, you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash all things cozy. And there's a link to that in our show notes. Shout out to Barbara C., one of our brand new patrons. Yeah, Barbara's a longtime listener of the show and she always sends us hot tips. For example, she's the one who got us on the trail of uh, Chip and Dale, the new movie that's coming out on Disney Plus, but it was streaming right now. So we're so glad that Barbara took that extra step to support us. And yeah, like, like Matt said, we're really going to miss everyone while we're on our break, but looking forward to catching up with everyone on their All Things Cozy Facebook group and then also on our social media. And we will be doing a better job throughout the summer, keeping up with everyone on it. So if you're not following already, please do. Right. As Julian mentioned, while we will not be releasing new episodes over the summer, we will be active on our social media channels. So follow us at All Things Cozy Podcast on Instagram and join our Facebook group, which is, I think, just also the All Things Cozy Podcast Facebook group. It's a great group of people. We'll be staying cozy all summer there. We're, we're just so excited to come back in the fall and have a new, refreshed pep in our step. And I hope everyone has a cozy summer. Yeah, stay cool out there. Have a great summer. Thank you all again for listening. And thanks to Leslie Meyer for joining us today. Until the fall, stay, stay cozy. cozy.